on today's show. There's a huge difference, though, in style of preaching and evangelism, of relationship evangelism, and then, of course, just that door-knocking, cold-call type of evangelism. And I think it would be good for us to think a little bit about what works in different places, and is there a one-size-fits-all, and how do we avoid the trap of just ignoring evangelism at all? Stay tuned. Welcome to the Missions Podcast, the show that explores your hard questions on missions, theology, and practice to help goers think and thinkers go. I'm Alex Kochman, one of your hosts here, also with Scott Dunford, the other half of the show. This is the show that has two hosts for the price of one. Scott Dunford, pastor of Redeemer Church in Fremont, California. Well, Scott, we're back to doing this virtually. We just put out, I think, 13 episodes from Together for the Gospel. Uh, felt like a whirlwind. It was nice. It also, we got it all done. We were able to take a couple weeks off. So it's actually been a little bit of a period of time since we've sat down and done one of these things. I'm feeling a little bit rusty here. Maybe our listeners won't know the difference, but they will now because we've <laughs> revealed that. We've said, hey, analyze this. <laughs> so <laughs> never something you really want to do. Yeah. Don't think too hard about the quality of this episode. We beg you. And speaking of, we want you to be honest, but not too honest. If you don't enjoy the podcast, don't do anything. But if you do enjoy the honest, uh, if you do enjoy honesty. <laughs> oh my gosh. See, we're already off the rails here. All of that, just to say this, leave a positive review and a positive rating, even though we haven't given you much of a reason to do so at this point in the show, uh, that helps get this in front of other people that can be blessed by it. We think this episode actually will bless you because it's a blessing to us. It's it's challenging us a little bit. Scott, there's something interesting that's happened in the church over the last few decades. It's kind of popular to talk about church planting. We know that. We've talked about church planting methods a number of times on this show and there's sort of this aesthetic, right, of the skinny jeans wearing, you know, hip cool young urban church planter. And that's a thing, right? That church planting has been kind of the new hotness, except it's not new anymore. That's been really a pretty steady drumbeat in evangelical circles for the last 20 mm -hmm. years easily, mm -hmm. right? But when somebody says, not I'm a church planter, but when they say, oh, well, I'm an evangelist, you get a very different picture in your head, don't you? Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, you know, it used to be that when someone said, hey, I'm an evangelist, you think, okay, they're, they're a TV preacher you know, maybe like a Jimmy Swagger or maybe they're the guy that comes in and does a whole week of meetings at your church, like a, like a Billy Sunday used to do back in the day. Or, you know, when we think about personal evangelism, uh, I think the thing that comes to most people's minds are kind of door to door evangelism. Did you grow up in a door to door evangelism kind of church? Not so much. Uh, I grew yeah. up in the Calvary Chapel movement. I mean, we were exposed to it here and there as far as the very kind of direct confrontational approach, but it wasn't also the kind of church that had a high emphasis on kind of barraging people with tracts and yeah. being that direct. And that's, that's valid. And I think in another time and era that certainly had its place, you know, so I, I grew up kind of exposed yeah. to that, but it was always there. It wasn't like you have to be doing this. This is the only way your upbringing was probably much more along those lines. It was. And this is something I actually am I thank the Lord for, but I can remember even yeah. being like a, you know, six, seven year old kid and, and just having a deep burden for my neighbors and talking to my friend on the, on the stoop of my, of our house and, and running inside, mom, you know, our neighbor wants to get saved. And I don't even yeah. remember what I said to him. It was probably a very, very simple John three sixteen. Do you love God? Do you want to go to heaven? And right there he fell on his knees and he said, sir, what must I do to be saved? Right. Yeah, I really doubt he was became a believer. I 
prayed a, prayed a prayer with me, but it, it did a lot in my life, you know, kind of motivating yeah. me to think of my friends. But I can remember in our high school years, going door to door, knocking on doors, kind of a, a little spiel we learned of, yeah. if you stand before the Lord, what will you say to him? And, and why what, should I let you into my heaven? And, you know, encouraging people not to go to hell, but to go to heaven and pray this prayer after us. And we get their information and we never see them again. And in one level that was encouraging, I mean, it did make me think a lot about the gospel and about people's eternal condition. On the yeah. negative side, I don't really know that that we had any true conversions that way, although, you know, only heaven knows. But yeah. I do think of another time when in high school, I felt a burden toward a friend of mine that I was working with and I knew that she was thinking about spiritual things because, uh, you know, we had talked about that a little bit at work when we were working at McDonald's together. And one day I, I got the courage up to bring her a, a thick gospel track. I mean, this wasn't one of those just like two verses on a thing. It was like 12 pages of like pretty serious kind of the bridge model. Stop a bullet. And I sat down with her and said, you know, I really want you to know this. And she gave her this gospel track. Said, would you just read it and let's talk about it? Well, God was already moving in her heart. She had come out of a non-Christian home at all, started attending a liberal Lutheran church and she was ready. And yeah. within about six months after starting to talk about the gospel, continuing gospel conversations, uh, I went off to college. She started going to church with my parents and they're in my parents' living room, accepted Christ as her savior and has been walking with the Lord faithfully serving. She's a mom, you know, she's got kids, you know, I saw her a couple of years ago and it was just a really, uh, we've stayed friends. It was very sweet interaction because she just wanted her kids to know that here's someone who led me to Jesus, which if, you know, <laughs> I'm going to get <laughs> yeah. choked up thinking about it. Yeah. You know, there's a huge difference though, in style of preaching and evangelism of right. relationship evangelism. And then of course, just that door knocking cold call, type of evangelism. And I, I think it'd be good for us to think a little bit about what works in different places and is there a one size fits all and how do we avoid the trap of just ignoring evangelism at all? When you yeah. think about evangelism on the mission field, Alex, we've talked about missions from unreached people groups, unengaged people groups, tribal groups, city, uh, people who live in the city, people in North America that are post-Christian. Uh, when you think of evangelism, what usually comes to your mind when you think of a missionary doing evangelism? Well, maybe it's because I'm kind of living in that world and thinking and talking about those sorts of things. What I think is different. Yeah, I think, yes, the typical individual in the pew, they might be tempted to think that for the missionary, that style of evangelism is going to look a lot like what you and I grew up with, you even more so. And then me, as I got into high school, I got very into the way the master approach and Ray Comfort. Yeah. And to be honest, too, I, I think we want to speak value to those systems that are are a little bit formulaic, a little bit scripted or rely on tracts, because I, I think those things are the training wheels, um, especially for people that are new at sharing their faith to get used to simply doing that. You can't you know, it, it's just like mastering an art form or a musical instrument. You can't improvise until you've learned the rudiments. And I think it's the same in evangelism. I think it's great to start with a script. I think it's great to start with something that's formulaic, even if it's not incredibly effective, honestly, because only when you've gotten into that rhythm can you begin to deviate from that a little bit. That's made a huge difference in my life. It, and it gave me something to fall back on. It gives me kind of a crutch to fall back on. But when I think through the missions lens, I think a lot more of people doing the slow, methodical work because it's not just immediately coming in and having a gospel conversation all of the time. Now, sometimes it can be more like that. A lot of the time, though, it, it takes the form of chronological Bible study. It takes the form mm -hmm. of walking people through the basics of kind of the theological vision that Genesis gives you. There's one God. 
there's a creator right. God. He knows you. He, he made you for a relationship with him. And yet there's a rift in that relationship because of sin and, and unpacking some of that. And that doesn't just take a couple of conversations that can take weeks and months and years, if not longer, right? Depending on your context, you know, so I, I see a lot of that methodical work. I had the privilege a week or two ago of speaking at a, a local Christian school and talking about missions. And one of the teachers, the high school teacher that introduced me was one of the students in my youth group when I was a youth pastor who wasn't a believer at the time. And he said, oh, this is Alex. And it, and it was a privilege, you know, to hear him say like, oh, it, Alex was one of the people that God used to, uh, to lead me to the Lord. And the conversations that I was having with Justin at the time were very much, hey, let's talk Genesis to Revelation. Let's talk about, you know, what does this mean? And we, and we were in Romans at the time, but he needed kind of the whole framework there. He was coming from an unchurched context. And that was much more relational than something I would have been comfortable with maybe years prior to that when everything was through a single grid, a single uh -huh. scripted conversation. So for you, you were serving in a pretty unreached pioneering context, and now you're in a very unchurched context, but it's very different culturally from where you were in Asia. You know, how, how are you approaching that same thing? Are, are you someone right now for being a pastor that you're using kind of a typical grid on your conversation, or you're basically entering in to people that there's no seed planting at all? There's just soil. And it's like, I just got to introduce them to the concept that there's this thing called Christianity. And then maybe at some point in the coming weeks and months, we'll warm them up to other concepts before the tract or before the John 3.16 even makes a lot of sense to them. Yeah, that's something I've really been thinking about a lot. The emphasis for the year for our church is evangelism. And, you know, we talk about it a lot, praying for it a lot and doing some training for it. And I, I do think there's some different cultural aspects that go into this idea of how and when and what to say and how to say it in evangelism. The danger I feel is, is like we're waiting for the perfect way to do it. And so we mm -hmm. don't ever get to it. And that's my yeah. fear for myself yeah. even, because I'm a very relational person. I want people to like me. And there's a part of evangelism that's calling someone to a response in which they may reject the gospel. And and it's easy to just kind of conflate yourself with the message and just feel like, oh, they rejected me and I don't want to deal with that rejection. That's something we all have to kind of die to ourselves about. It's interesting here in that there's a spectrum. There are people that I meet and they find out I'm a pastor and that is just an immediate point of interest. It's not like where I've lived in the past in America where people were like, oh, okay, well, you know, the good man upstairs, you know, you can see their language changing immediately. They start mm -hmm. talking religious talk and they're very uncomfortable here. I don't feel like it's, it's as much uncomfortable as it is a novelty. They're kind of interested, they're not interested in spiritual things. They don't want to talk about it, but they, um, they think it's interesting that I'm a pastor, kind of like they just met a Buddhist monk <laughs> and they're curious, why are you wearing those saffron robes? You know, kind of thing. But we do have the people we've seen come to Christ have been what you would probably expect. People that kind of have a cultural Christian background mm. that were coming out of either they, either they went to church with their parents and they were little and haven't been to church in 50 years, or they're coming out of a Catholic background in which the gospel was there in embryonic form, but they never really put the pieces together. And they've never, they never truly trusted Christ themselves, or they never were aware of, that need. We do see that. That's been a big ministry, I think, that churches can have in these settings. And some of our missionaries are serving in settings like that, where it's helping them to take the pieces that they've learned through their catechisms and through the things they've memorized as kids and putting it now together in a way that means something for them. 
Uh, the other side, of course, is just people who don't know anything about the gospel, don't really know anything about Christianity. I feel like for that, it also comes down to building the relationships and building the ability to understand where a person's at and then bringing the gospel to bear in those situations. You know, I wonder, Alex, like if we look at the at Acts and we see the different ways that, and in the gospels actually, because we see Christ obviously leading people to himself as well. Mm. Can we use Acts in this way? We talk about this a lot. Can we use Acts as prescriptive or descriptive in its approaches. And the question for me is, as I'm looking at some of these, what look like descriptive passages, how much of those are edits of Luke to kind of make it mm-hmm. tight and neat and how much we can draw from that in the way we do evangelism. Yeah. Um, because let's just walk through some of those passages in acts of the yeah. way that we see evangelism done and see if we can learn anything from that. Uh, yeah. The first passage that comes to my mind obviously is Stephen preaching the gospel in Acts chapter seven, what can we take away from that in the way of, of approach of evangelism? Yeah. And obviously that's not the, the first presentation in the book, but there's a lot that's contextual there, right? Stephen is narrating the entire history of Israel. He's focusing on this pattern in Israel's history where they reject God's servant and they prefer whatever outward forms, right, over the message from God himself to the point where Stephen indicts them for, hey, you say you love the temple, you're all worried about people saying they're going to tear down the temple, and yet you've rejected your Messiah, right? And, and that's the message that costs Stephen his life. The question of, is the book of Acts descriptive or prescriptive? Yes, right? Um, yeah. Specifically, let's look at those passages, though, where the apostles and the other evangelists in the early church, are they self-consciously following prescriptions from Jesus that are given in the Gospels? and other instructions elsewhere. So I do think that the apostolic and Stephen's speech as well, I do think there's a prescriptive element there in as much as they're consciously trying to follow what Jesus said in the Great Commission and Uh bearing witness to the truth. Now, it's going to look different for us. We're not speaking to Jerusalem prior to the judgment on Jerusalem and, and what happened in that generation and the Roman invasion and all the sorts of things, the culmination that happened to that generation for rejecting its Messiah. There is a difference in approach, though, between whether it's Stephen or the way that Peter speaks to them very directly and confrontationally in Acts chapter two, this Jesus whom you crucified, God has mm-hmm. raised up, right? Really pointing the finger directly at them versus Paul in Acts chapter 17. And we'll get to that as well, of course, but having a not a different message, but a different approach in that message with Gentiles. And then something else I'm sure we can get to all the way at the end of the book in chapter 28, there is this statement that Paul says he's going to go to the Gentiles for they will listen. Now, do all the Gentiles always listen to the gospel? No, but there is this note of victory there that, yeah, the gospel has received some initial rejection among the first century Jews. But by and large, in the grand scheme of history, the Gentiles that are hearing it, they're responding. They're being brought into the kingdom, right? So there's an optimistic tone that we can have there, too. Not that our methods are going to make the difference every single time decisively, but rather that God is actually opening hearts too. Whether it's the direct abrasive confrontational approach, whether it's something slightly different for somebody that doesn't have that direct background. I think we see all of that in the book of Acts. The conversation with Stephen though, that's, boy, that's a doozy. That one will, (laughs) if you're hearing that, you're convicted. Right. I mean, you do see different approaches, right? So you have the approach of Philip with the Ethiopian eunuch, which obviously was divinely appointed in a way that likely none of us will 
experience, you know, where the Holy Spirit says that one right there goes stand there and talk to him. You know, it's obviously they don't have a previous relationship, but it's different in its tone of explaining and coming alongside of than Stephen's message to people who, you know, were actively rejecting Christ and were ready to kill him. And it's different than Paul's tone in Acts 17, Acts 14. So many of the interactions we see in scripture, we don't even have record of what was said. That's interesting when you start reading the Acts, like he went here, he went here, but they don't actually record the words that were shared between people. But we also do have, you know, it seems like, you know, with Apollos where they came alongside him and, and explained more fully. So you see, there is a place for preaching evangelism. There's a place for like one-on-one evangelism with strangers even. And there's a, there's obviously a place for a relational evangelism where you get to know someone, you understand where they're at in the gospel and you uh, walk them through over the course of some time. Do you think there's a danger in using tools? Do you think there's a danger in like learning methods of evangelism or do you think those things can be helpful? Yeah. We talked about this a little bit earlier and Honestly, it does depend on the tool. I think we have to realize that there's no expression of the gospel that isn't in some, unless you're directly quoting scripture and, and even then, you know, scripture has context as well. There's no distilled version of the gospel that you can be quoting that isn't in some way derivative of, of some sort of theme or undercurrent in your culture, right? Look at the four spiritual laws, right? That comes out of the context of ministering to retirees in, in Florida. There's a, there's a high emphasis on this idea of you're, you're going to meet God soon and, and what is happening to you. And don't you want a life of purpose and those sorts of things that come into that consideration. But with that said, I, I think it's helpful. I think people get paralyzed in evangelism almost because we've invited people to to not rely on those things so much. And, and you hear so much of, well, it's relational. Everyone's at a different spot in their journey. No two journeys are the same. No two conversations are the same. Figure out where a person's at, build a friendship. And that can be helpful, but man, that is so ethereal potentially that it, it really can be a distraction from, hey, at the end of the day, the message is actually fairly simple. You know, one God, sin has separated us from him. Christ bridges that gap through his death and resurrection. You have to repent and believe in him, you know, and without giving people hooks and handles and ways of understanding that. So what, I, what I've found actually, and in leading evangelism groups from our church when we were living in the South and participating in some that were maybe less well-run and were doing a lot of very aggressive uh, door-to-door evangelism that was leading people in a sinner's prayer that wasn't any kind of a sign of, of biblical you know, true regeneration happening there. But what I've seen is that for somebody to learn a method, again, it's it's giving them a tool, if for no other reason than to bolster their own confidence, so that if they need to have a conversation with with a loved one or with a perfect stranger, and frankly, sometimes the, the individuals who are loved ones or friends already, much more difficult than a person who's a perfect stranger, but giving them a fallback, giving them a, a template to resort to, giving them something that they can operate off of, I think is helpful. It, you know, can it be a crutch? And, and obviously there's some approaches that just aren't valid. I've heard of a, a missionary in a context who was trained, not with our agency, and we're thankful for that, but uh, who was trained to approach people and ask, hey, what is it that you want in life? Well, Jesus will give you that. Kind of a pretty simple health and wealth uh, gospel yeah. that's not a gospel at all. It's heretical. It's, right. it's God as a vending machine to satisfy my needs. Well, you know, assuming that the, the content of the biblical gospel and of all those things that we outlined, you know, those non-negotiables from 1 Corinthians 15, assuming that those pieces are there, yeah, I, I think the formulae can be helpful. 
something I'm struggling with, and I, I think missionaries struggle with this too. I'd love to hear feedback on this from our listeners. It's encouraging when you do, speaking to our listeners, when you do respond and we, Alex and I read through the comments sometimes, you know, it's, it's very, very encouraging. It's encouraging to me to realize like so such a high percentage of our listenership are serving on the field. But for me, I I think as my, my challenge or my encouragement is I think it's easy as a missionary to get so one, get sort of caught up in these controversies that we are not engaging in evangelism. You know, like we want to be careful that we don't do this, we don't do that. And we're trying to be aware of this and all that kind of, of carefulness, I think is necessary and really important, but it's also concerning that we don't become, it's concerning that we don't become so concerned uh, that, that we don't, that we don't end up sharing our faith at all. And we, even though we're missionaries and we think of ourselves as gospel tellers that we haven't told the gospel in, in years. But I do think though, that, that there are different ways that work in different contexts I've been thinking about this a lot, Alex, in our neighborhoods and stuff about even cold call, door-to-door, stranger evangelism. Do you think there's a place for that? Or do you think that's something that we should be careful about? I do think there's a place for it. Again, there's a place for it. Probably not every single place. I think for a lot of parts of our own country and throughout the West or the developed world, your town hall, your your public square is maybe even somewhere digital or virtual, and it's not even a a literal, physical town public square. And in fact, in many of those places are the places where where public speech is is actually the hardest, or or a shopping mall where you're you're not necessarily permitted to do those sorts of things, right? And so I think it it looks different. But as far as going door to door or going, you know, into a, a set place and doing kind of a very regimented cold contact form of evangelism. Here's what I found when we were leading an evangelism group several years ago is that those not only one were effective in giving the people that visited and a lot of the college students that we were working with practice sharing their faith, but two, if we're hitting up the same, you know, retailers at the mall or the same neighborhood week after week, you know, the excuse to get us there is we're doing this kind of one size fits all outreach But the reality is, is we actually built a lot of relationships there where, hey, I had a conversation with you last week. Did you think about that? And then you see them again the following week. And I actually had relational evangelism Hmm. friendships and relationships begin as cold contact evangelism encounters. And I'm sure you've had that experience as well. But what happens when you see a person more than once? If anything, now you're not wondering, how do I slip the gospel into this friendship? But now the friendship is all predicated on, hey, remember that first conversation that we had? So you know what I'm about. All the cards are on the table. But now I can also ask you, by the way, how are you doing? Or how can I be praying for you? And you can see not only that a person cares about your soul, but about your day to day as well. I've seen the Lord bless that in my life. One of the tools that we're using at our church is two ways to live which I think probably some of our listeners are familiar with it. And the thing I like about it, it starts with God and who God is and our fall and relationship to that and all those things. And there's scripture to learn, which I think is that's one of the more helpful parts of usually using an evangelism tool. But the danger that I can imagine some of our missionaries uh, listening, I can kind of imagine Brooks Buser in my ear as we're talking about this going like, um, radiusinternational.org <laughs> if you don't and even our own training at ABWE is that if you don't lay a good foundation of who God is who is man in relationship to God what is the world you know and and the chronological bible teaching that I know ABWE and groups like radius or ethnos 360 or even 
almost every organization uses some kind of a Bible storying technique uh, that's chronological now in, in sharing the gospel. Without doing that, what are we miscommunicating about the gospel? So how do you wrestle with that tension of, one, assessing where people are at in their theological understanding? I mean, if I'm talking to a Catholic, they might have some wrong ideas about God, but they do have, at least they're dealing with the Christian God as opposed to a a Hindu understanding of the universe and the gods, whatever they may be, you know, um, there's a huge difference in understanding at that place or, uh, in a African tribal setting or, um, you know, we could go on and on about different scenarios. So, you know, what is the tension you think there that we should wrestle with about making sure that someone fully understands what they're putting their faith in? Cause it does seem like, and I realize Paul's speech at Athens is probably shortened and edited down to the core nuggets. It's probably not a full transcript of everything that was said that day. But Paul, I mean, Paul does obviously build a biblical theology. He starts in Genesis and works his way to the resurrection, but he does it quickly and there isn't massive response. Although he does seem to follow up later with those who were starting to be interested in the gospel versus the I'm going to be patient. I'm not going to share the gospel with you. I remember hearing Ethnos 360 missionaries talk to us about this. You know, we don't get into the gospel early. We just start laying the foundation over the course of months and years. And I, I can remember people in my churches growing up just freaking out. Like, what if they go to, what if they die, you know, in on day four and they haven't heard the full gospel story? That's on your, that's on you. How, how would you respond to, to that tension? Well, let's address that in reverse order, though, because it is easy to have that thought because this is an urgent thing. What if somebody does die? Uh, I'm sure we have people listening who have been in a similar position. And if you've served in a pioneering context where maybe you were the only person there, maybe you've seen people in your circle of friends, in your community, slip into eternity before you've really had a chance to establish yourself as a witness in that community and there, there is a degree where, it, you know, if, if the Lord's convicting you of something, uh, an area in which you've been unfaithful, we don't, we don't want to contradict the spirit or quench the spirit in that way. We should be zealous to present the gospel as often as we're given opportunity. But it is also true that we're not, we're not even necessarily sent to be the ones saving people. We're invited to work with God, but God is sovereign over salvation. We're sent to proclaim, we're sent to be a witness. God is sovereign for the fruit. He's not only sovereign over the end product, he's sovereign over the means, over everything in between the process, over when you arrived on the field and the timing of that in relation to everything else that's happened up until that point. So God is responsible for the final outcome. We're, we're responsible to, to obey, to be faithful, we all know that we believe that, but we have to say that, you know, that's where I think turn into a good book, like, you know, J.I. Packer's evangelism and the sovereignty of God, I think, can just be a, a real good place to anchor ourselves. And then as far as how do we contextualize in those conversations, though, you know, we do live in a unique moment where there's so much going on about contextualization and there's so much going on about understanding different subgroups and, and diversity and so much of that. And, and there's certainly value, especially for the missionary to know the language and the culture, especially the language. How else can you communicate except for understanding the heart language of a people and not just the trade language, the lingua franca, uh, but the language that people are thinking in. But beyond that as well, especially for those of us that are in the States, what's not necessary. And this is where I think we get stuck if we're really enamored with evangelism, apologetic approaches and and debating those sorts of things and learning about worldviews. A lot of that's helpful. 
a lot of that can be unhelpful. A lot of that can be an excuse for inaction. I'll confess in my life at times, that's an excuse for inaction. We don't have to study and survey a hundred different counterfeits in order to know how to compare that to the true, what we need to do. And then the rest is potentially helpful to add on what we need to do above all else is understand the true, understand what is the actual biblical gospel? What does it say from Genesis to Revelation? How can I not just understand my neighbor's worldview and their frame of thinking, but also whether I understand their worldview or not, and I may never totally understand that, I'm probably never going to fully understand Hinduism, but what can I do to bring them into the world of scripture? What can I do to get them to, you know, as you would with, with any novel or book that you read, you kind of have to suspend disbelief long enough to at least accept the terms of the narrative world that's being being set up and enter into the logic of that story, right? Well, this is the greatest story. This is a true story. How can right. we get our neighbors to suspend disbelief long enough to imagine a world? Because this is the real world where there is one God, there's a creator, and, and here's what happens from Genesis onward, pointing towards Christ. And then how are you going to respond to that in your life actually? I think there's a lot of temptation to understand all of the potential options that are out there. And I think there's a lot of fruitful study that can be done in apologetics to find that way. But what we have to really do is, is master what's true and, and understand the gospel. And God has done a lot of amazing work through people who were not studied at all. Frankly, he does more work through the foolish and the weak than the people that have all of the degrees after their names that understand every fine jot and tittle of missiology and of comparative religion. God uses the bold, the foolish, and sometimes the seemingly weak. Of course, they're not weak in the ultimate spiritual sense of that, but you know, as Paul says to the Corinthians, right? Not many of you were wise when you were called, right? God does use that simple message of the cross. There's only one thing that we can do to prepare ourselves for mission. It's understanding the, the foolish, subversive power of the message of the cross proclaimed. So, you know, my advice as we're kind of getting close to the end here, it would be one prayer. And I know that we would mention mm -hmm. that a lot, but I've just known in my own life and probably you have too, Alex, where when I'm praying about opportunities to share my faith with people and to help mm -hmm. them to see Christ that, you know, magically God brings those people into my life when I'm not praying about it. It's funny. I think that he hasn't led those people in my life. The reality is I'm not seeing the opportunities that are there. And so when I'm praying for opportunities, I'm writing names down I'm praying about specific people that I've either met in random places or that I'm working with on a regular basis. I've got people that I just meet and I'm praying for them. And then there's people that, I know, and I'm building relationships. So pray and pray specifically for real people, not just for theoretical people groups that I may, may or may never encounter, you know? Mm -hmm. And then, and then I think adding tools to your toolbox, this is kind of the way I talk to my own church people about this is, like, you know, when you're first getting your toolkit together, you know, you got your hammer and you got a couple of different screwdrivers and you're ready to go. And then you realize, oh, for some jobs, I need a driver. So you buy a driver, you know, oh, for other jobs, I'm going to need a, you know, wire snips. So you buy the wire snips and you start adding to your toolbox, these tools that you use and need to use and keep sharp because there are situations in which you're going to be dealing with someone that having an apologetics background will be useful for others where it's going to be relational and pointing them to, to how Christ loves them and what he's done for them and, and guiding them. Sometimes you're going to be dealing with atheists. Sometimes you're going to be dealing with people that are 
very, very religious and having those tools that you're building and putting it together and then recognizing, I think that it's not one size fits all that people are in different places that some people you're going to be walking with them for quite a while before you really have a great opportunity to go deep into the word of God with them and other people. And this is even within people group. So I would say even like we're dealing with Mm -hmm. a Muslim people group, there's going to be people in that Muslim people group who think a lot about spiritual things and have a lot of questions and are ready to engage almost immediately. And there's other people that they just don't think about it very much and, uh, or they put it out of their mind and it's going to take some time and some opportunities and then looking for those opportunities and of where their interests are at and what they're doing. I, I've been spending a lot of time studying Paul's methods and approaches and the way he went about some of the things he did specifically in, in cross-cultural evangelism. And it's really interesting how much Paul understood about what was expected and how to talk about spiritual things in spirit in ways that would be received, maybe not accepted, but at least received as he, as serious. And so we need to be students of our culture to understand okay, where are people at and what, how are they thinking and how do we take where they're at and where it comes across, you know, scriptural truths and be able to draw that into a deeper way. I honestly think, Alex, right now in American culture, there's so many opportunities because daily spiritual things are happening that Christians have an opportunity to speak into because also Christians are kind of been the target in some ways of past things we've done poorly or just the way Christendom has uh, acted that as Christians, sometimes we feel the brunt of as individuals. And those are actually opportunities to say, I can't speak for what everyone else is doing, but here's what the gospel says and here's what Christ expects of me and actually what he expects of you as well. Yeah, I think that we've all been given opportunities over the last two years because finding an evangelistic bridge has become as simple as, man, some crazy stuff going on lately, right? And and moving from there simply to, to deeper topics, I think that there's a few pieces of advice that have been really critical for me in evangelism. And I struggle just as anyone else does, as I'm sure you do as well, Scott, but a a few encouragements that I've heard over the years. One is simply that allowing people to hear you speak as a Christian, the same way you would to your other Christian friends, not being afraid of spiritual topics, just making that a part of your regular vocabulary. Mm-hmm. Now, not to be misunderstood, what mm-hmm. you don't want to do is intentionally weird people out with a lot of Christian jargon, but speaking naturally, not feeling as though you've got to act like something that you aren't. And you've found this as a pastor. We've both experienced this as people in ministry, that there are people that somehow know I'm in ministry or think I'm a pastor, even though I'm not in a pastoral ministry right now, that I've never had a spiritual conversation with them, but somehow they they heard that through the grapevine or they saw something on social media or, or somebody else in the neighborhood said something. And so they're already looking at you and evaluating you as a Christian. Go ahead and act like one. And what you're also doing is you're making it safe to talk about spiritual topics. I think that there's real wisdom in that. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, there are plenty of times where In fact, this morning I was speaking to someone at the gym, didn't really have the guts to get into a full gospel thing, but had somewhat of a rapport with this person and said, so anyway, how are you doing? How can I pray for you? And was able to, uh, to say a little prayer for that individual as I left the gym and, you know, having a spiritual conversation, again, making those topics of conversation safe. The other thing that I think that we can do this, actually, this insight comes from Paul Washer. And when you hear Paul Washer, you you think of, you know, fire and brimstone sort of evangelist. And and we thank the Lord for Brother Paul Washer's zeal. But one of the the helpful bits of advice that I've also uh, heard in, in talks that he's given 
is that there's times where he's sitting on a park bench next to somebody feeling just as cowardly as, as we do from time to time. And he'll pray for an open door in a conversation. And sometimes God will answer that prayer and there'll be a, a topic of conversation that opens up in a particular way. Other times that clear opportunity doesn't present itself. And in those moments, he sort of just commits to say, hey, so-and-so, um, this is a little weird, but have you ever heard the gospel? Can I explain that to you? Do you know what that word means? And that's just right for it. There's nothing clever about that as far as a conversational segue. But I love that. Listen, you you can just be honest and say, hey, I've got a message. Can I share that with you real quick? Just getting the awkwardness out of the way. And frankly, once you get past that initial kind of pain line, as Rico Tice calls it, the pain line crossing that threshold, the Holy Spirit takes over and gives you words, even if you're not prepared. And I've experienced that. And I hope that this conversation just opens us all up. We want to think, but we do want to go. And and it's not even necessarily going overseas. It's It's wherever you're at. If you're a pastor, if you're a sender listening to this as well, I think that we would be remiss if we just sat here every week, week in and week out, talking about methodologies, talking about theology, and didn't encourage each other, admit our faults and weaknesses, but Scott also hold each other accountable and lovingly encourage each other to be having these conversations. God can do great things through the most ineffective, inarticulate kind of ham-fisted efforts to weave the gospel into a conversation. And thank God that he does. Amen. Amen. Good stuff. Well, Thank you for joining us this week on the show. Uh, again, we're back in the saddle here, and it's good to be with you. We appreciate being able to serve you week in, week out. And if this show has ever been a blessing to you, or if this is your very first episode with us, first of all, we're sorry because we weren't as put together this week as we normally are. But hey, God will use it. But also pay it forward by sharing this with a friend and leaving a positive rating and review in your podcast platform of choice. That gets this content in front of other people that can be blessed by it. You can also be a partner with the show. And we value that greatly. You can go to missionspodcast.com slash support and show your support. Of course, the Missions Podcast is a ministry of ABWE. To get more content, go to missionspodcast.com or you can go to abwe.org to learn more. Until next week, thank you for joining us.